This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. From hockey to wrestling, football to golf, no sport left unturned. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. The boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. Joining me as usual, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. How are you? Good, Wally. How are you? Good. Uh, Leafs are on a uh, Leafs are on a bit of a roll. Uh, just to let our uh, we'll a get bit. to that. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Just to let our listeners know where we're going with the show today. Uh, uh, shortly after the first break, a topic that was near and dear to me and you, Nez, when we were growing up. We uh, we spent a few uh, few afternoons at uh, at the track over at Woodbine and some Saturday nights down in Greenwood or Flamborough or even probably Batavia Downs. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, when we were younger, Nath, uh used to have a segment on our show uh, in the 1970s called Pick the Ponies. We haven't talked about horse racing, I don't think, at all. Uh, Not at all. In in seven years, which is kind of surprising, Naz, given given our history. Uh Gave up, uh, gave up a few afternoon classes in high school to head over to, to Woodbine. Uh, but we're thrilled to have today Glenn Crowder, who's... Uh, uh, I call him the Renaissance Man of Sports Announcing. He uh, does some work with News Talk 1010. He's a ski and summer events reporter there. He's a sports announcer there. He's a Canadian Ski Council ambassador. Done a lot of work for the Woodbine Entertainment Group. Uh, is, uh knows uh, horse racing intimately. So uh, watched the Kentucky Derby yesterday, Naz, for the first time, I guess, since American Pharaoh, uh, which was a highly touted horse a few uh, a few years back when the Triple Crown in 15 of 14, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, sort of haven't watched as much horse racing over the years since since its glory days. But we're going to get a chance to talk to Glenn Crowder, uh, News Talk 1010's Glenn Crowder. Certainly looking forward to that. Uh, later on in the hour, Joe the Throw's back. Uh, good friend of the Nazimali Sports Hour, Joe Theismann. We're going to talk about the NFL draft and uh, what's going on in the NFL. Naz, Leafs are on a roll. What's going on? Yeah. Well, they're home and cooled out. They're going to finish first, and they deserve it. Their team looks really good. I don't see any weaknesses anymore, Wally. The goaltending's held held up, and wow, they're going to be hard to beat. I think they're going to. They have a shot at winning the cup. They really do. Uh, no question, they have a shot at winning the cup. But interesting on the on that question of uh, the Leafs' shot on winning the cup. I'm. Uh, I subscribe to the Athletic, and uh, they always uh, they have a, they have a running computer algorithm that, that adjusts on a, on a daily basis of the chances of every team winning their division, where they're going to finish, who's got the best chance of winning the Stanley Cup. According to the Athletic this morning, and the Athletic's computer, the Leafs have a 19 percent chance of winning the Stanley Cup, number two overall, second only. They've got. Uh, they got the Avalanche slotted in right now at 23%, Leafs at 19%, Tampa at 15%, nobody else over 10%. Only three, tem- 
according to the athletic computer, uh, which gets adjusted, it, it, it goes through 50,000 simulations. They got the Leafs at about 19%. Uh, and that sounds just about right, doesn't it, Naz? Uh, Colorado yeah, it looks... Yeah, uh, Vegas in there, Wally? Yeah, they got Vegas at 8%, and I find that surprising that, you know, Vegas is, I think they're actually in front of Colorado in the standings. I'm not sure about point uh, point percentage, but they, uh, I don't know how this computer works. They, they feed it a, a lot of information, I'm sure. Vegas at 8%, Carolina at 7%, Pittsburgh and Washington at 3%, Boston at 9%. Florida at one percent. Those are basically the contenders. Uh, yeah, it's probably the uh, the um, the ease of the schedule too in the playoffs. Who they play, right? Yeah, very sure. tough. Very tough to come out of the West. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it factors all that in. Cause the, the the two that I found surprising, uh, um, more so than perhaps the others, were Pittsburgh and Washington. Only at three percent each, and you know you got Crosby, you got Ovechkin, you got teams that have won the Stanley Cup, you got leadership. Um, I don't know. I I think I need to have a chat with that computer. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think they got Pittsburgh and Washington a little bit too low. Leafs at nineteen percent, maybe a bit on the high side. I'd have them somewhere between ten and fifteen percent, but uh, they feed a lot of information into that computer, Naz. So. Uh, uh, I, w- I will, uh, for now, I will defer to it, and uh, you know, when the playoffs start, we'll, we'll, give, uh, we'll give the Naz and Wally at odds on uh, how, we, how we think it's all going to shake up. What, what is the odds Montreal catches Winnipeg? They're very close now. They're, they're, getting, they're getting there. Yeah, they actually, I didn't, I didn't check that odds, but I will after the show. They actually, uh, they, uh, they will tell you the odds of where they anticipate every single team will finish in their division, in their co- in their division as well. So, yeah, the the the, the Jets had a tough time with the Oilers and uh, the Habs a uh, little bit on a, a little bit on a roll. So, you know, we were always uh, we were always looking at the Leafs Habs in the first round. That may not that may not come to pass. Ness, we may we may get the Jets. You know, we you may never get know. the Jets. Yeah, you talk. never know. Um, let's talk about the let's talk a little bit about the Leafs before we go to our first break. Um, Matthews. 17 goals in the last 17 games. If you project out his stats, uh, 38 goals. I don't think there's any question he's going to win the Rocket Richard. Uh, first Leafs to win the goal-scoring title in, well, let's put it this way, in our lifetimes. Um, and he projects out to 66 goals. Uh, what, a, what a remarkable, remarkable season for Austin Matthews. Didn't he miss a few games too? He missed three games. Yep. Yeah. Um, remarkable, remarkable season. Uh, in many ways, certainly the best. I mean, and you know, you, you got when you talk about Austin Matthews, I think you sort of have to talk about Mitch Marner because in the same in the same breath, don't you, Naz? I mean, Marner's such such an important part of Matthews' success. You sure do. He's uh, the ultimate playmaker. Austin Matthews last eighty-two games, sixty-five goals. The last 82 games he's played, 65 yeah. goals. He's going to run away with the Rockets Richard Trophy for years to come. He's got unbelievable hands, unbelievable. Yeah, he's uh, he's certainly uh, no question about the hands, Naz. Uh, if it wasn't for this other player called Connor McDavid, uh, you know, I I don't. 
think there'd be any question that Austin Matthews would probably be. I think he's got to be in the top three, certainly, in the conversation of, of MVP, Hart Trophy. But Connor McDavid's having a pretty remarkable season himself. And, uh, the, uh, the you know, it's pretty it's pretty well a given that Connor McDavid's going to win the Hart Trophy this year. Um, in any other year, you know, Matthews would uh, certainly probably might be the odds-on favorite given the season he's had. Um, so certainly uh, in that respect, uh, all, uh, all congratulations to, to uh, Matthews for a remarkable season. Hopefully, Hopefully, once the season ends, we've got at least at least twelve more victories in uh, in our uh, in our crystal ball, Nez. Well, Felino those... looks very comfortable on that line. I can't see Hyman coming back and playing on the top line. Well, you know, interesting. Uh, Hyman's such an important part of this team as well. Um, so I don't I don't know where you slot Hyman in when when you come back. Um, that's that's an interesting and. Dilemma for Sheldon Keefe. Um, I mean, you know, the, for the first time in a long time, we've got we've got so you've got extra pieces to the puzzle. Uh, so I, I don't know where Hyman comes back. Um, um, you know, Galchiniak seems to have found his spot on uh, on on the line with Tavares and, and Nylander. Uh, you know, he finally got a goal last night. He's been getting assists. He's he's got, he's got a good forecheck game. I wouldn't call him a power forward uh, in the classic sense, but you know there's a certain uh, physicality. Not call it physicality, but he's strong on his skates. He's not a, he's not scared to go into the corners, as as Howard Cosell used to say. Naz, he's uh, he's a reclamation project. Uh, seems to have found his rhythm uh, playing with the Toronto Maple Leafs. He doesn't he doesn't look out of place out there, Naz. No, not at all. Looks very good. I ended up saying when watching the Blue Jay game last night, I got to bring something up. Okay, I think I think Anthopoulos is going to get rid of the manager. I think John Gibbons is, is on his way. Oh, uh, back back to the Jays. Back to Atlanta. With oh, in Atlanta. Sorry, Anthopoulos. Okay, yeah, 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 in Atlanta. Yeah, Snicker, the manager. I don't know what he's doing. He's face. He's a three and one count on Biggio. Biggio has been struggling. And he intentionally walks him to load the bases and pitches to Gritchick, who's batting over 300. And he, Gritchick gets the single, and the Braves lose. I don't know what the heck the manager was doing, but um, I think uh, Gibbons could be on his way. No, you never know. Uh, talking, talking about baseball, uh, we finally got George Springer in the Jays lineup, and uh, Vladdy had a, had, a, had a pretty good game the other night. Three home runs, Springer a couple home runs, uh, Jays are over 500. Uh, if they can keep that pitching staff together, this uh, they could uh, they could make a little run here. Ness, lethal lineup, unbelievable lineup. They can uh, hit from one to nine. Yeah, they're very dangerous, especially the long ball. Very and, dangerous, uh, and and they're certainly entertaining to watch. There's you know got some good good young talent, and uh, as you say, Nas, they've got the long ball. Uh, they are they're a fun young team to watch. So uh, we'll we'll certainly keep an eye on them, and uh, as we as we get going, certainly want to talk about the Jays. Uh, uh, talk about them a little bit more. Hard to believe uh, we've already gotten to our uh, first break. Just didn't I had a, haven't scratched the surface of the of the leaf talk I had in uh, had in mind, but we'll come back to it. Uh, let's go to break and. Uh, 
We're going to talk about the ponies a little bit. Naz, when uh, we come back, we'll be talking to Glenn Crowder, News Talk 1010's Glenn Crowder. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville realised we all have things we should cut back on. For me half-brother Rayul, that's ordering inflatable toys. For others, it's carbs. So Pizzaville made the extra thin crust pizza. You get the same authentic Italian taste as our regular pizza, but with two-thirds less carbs. Because the last thing Rayul wants is an inflatable waste. Pizzaville stone-baked pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. There's an old saying. Entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. Here's to every boy who thought his Bobby Orr rookie card sounded great in the spokes of his bicycle. He's only served to make yours in mint condition more valuable. And now it's payday. Mint Inc. Trading Cards and Sports Merchandise wants to buy your vintage collection of hockey, baseball, basketball, football, and soccer heroes. Now's the time to cash in while the hobby reaches new heights. If you got them, we need them. Mint Inc. Trading Cards and Sports Merchandise. Visit our store online at mintink.ca. They never argue sports. They just explain while they're always correct. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live on AM740 in downtown Toronto, 96.7 FM, and also on the internet, www.zoomerradio.ca. We're pleased to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, News Talk 1010's Glenn Crowder. Glenn's obviously... uh, you heard the name. He's a sports announcer. He's a ski and summer events reporter. He's an ambassador for the Canadian Ski Council. He's an ambassador for in the golf world. Uh, he's done a lifetime of work with the Woodbine Entertainment Group. And uh, Naz and I were talking about talking about horse racing, and we thought nobody better to talk about horse racing with than Glenn Crowder. Good morning, Glenn. How are you this morning? Good morning, Walter. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Yesterday was uh, Kentucky Derby Saturday, uh, the first uh, the first Saturday in May. Uh, I'll be honest with you, Glenn. Uh, first Kentucky Derby I've probably watched since American Pharaoh a few years back. And yeah. Naz and I used to be passionate sports uh, horse racing junkies in the seventies. Spent perhaps too much time at Woodbine in, in Greenwood. Maybe we we should have been in class. Uh, Glenn, you have a history with, uh, you know, you're you're associated with horse racing in the province of Ontario, perhaps like nobody else I know. Kentucky Derby is certainly a special day. Uh, tell us, uh, you've been there so many, so many times. Uh, 
just tell us about the whole atmosphere around the Kentucky Derby when you actually attend the event. Yeah, it was it was a, kind of a special day yesterday because last year they held it in September and no fans. Um, I'm not sure about you, Walter, but when I see a hockey game, a football game, a basketball game, the fans make part of the whole the whole scene, the atmosphere and everything, it was it was very, yesterday was spectacular because they were only supposed to let in 45,000 people, by the way. There was not a chance, and you know what, there was 45, there was probably a good 85,000. The infield usually is 50,000 people. There's probably maybe 25,000 there. So it was a spectacular day, nice and sunny, and I'll tell you what, um, I've been to, uh, four, I went to let me see, about 15 straight uh, Kentucky Derbies. And I've uh, represented, obviously, Woodbine and then my, my radio station and other stations when I go down and report on it. So I'm well familiar with what happens. And the interesting part about the Kentucky Derby, not just because of yesterday, but because when you travel down, we drove down every year because that's half the fun of it. You go through Detroit, then as soon as you start getting towards through Ohio and into Kentucky, all of a sudden everything changes. Everything is about the Derby. Louisville, the town itself, is completely shut down for everything except Derby people, except the tourists coming in. Uh, they have steamboat races, which is like watching dry paint, but it's part of the tradition right on the Ohio River, right downtown to Louisville. Then they have the parade, the Pegasus Parade, on Wednesday night, and then it leads into the draw, and then it leads into the big race on Saturday. And matter of fact, the whole schools, all schools close down, and most businesses on Friday for Oaks Day and then the big race on Saturday. So it's a real tradition, and it's something that uh, is ingrained in the culture of mid-America that's spectacular to see. Ness? Glenn, what was the cause of uh, horse racing to decline in the past 20 years? Great question. And the reason being, like the CFL, we forgot a generation. We forgot. We took it for granted. Uh, open the doors and they'll come. And that's what, what, that's what it was like before. And then the evolution of television, the evolution of online gambling, the evolution of everything where people don't have to go to the track anymore. They can sit at home and bet. They can be in their office on a computer, on a cell. Uh, the game has changed. And as you can see from not only horse racing, but right across the board for all sports. But horse racing, for sure, forgot a generation, took it for granted. And then all of a sudden, a gentleman named David Wilmot, who was our chairman and CEO at Woodbine Entertainment at that time, we were in charge of Woodbine uh, and Mohawk racetracks and also some restaurants around the city. Uh, he came in and realized that, okay, we have to do something. And that's when the era of uh, um, not so much online wagering, but certainly the slots came on board. And I was part of that. We had to go around the city and talk to certain groups. Uh, I was on television with CP24 a number of times and taking open questions. It was like I was like a moving target. So it was really interesting, as the whole fact is that, the, that horse racing is trying to come back, like a lot of sports, like the CFL, uh, and it won't be long before it really reaches another pinnacle. I think when you see events like yesterday, not so much for the crowd in the stands, but certainly for people that were watching, I'd be very interested to see the, the television numbers, because last year they plummeted, obviously, because there was little hype and nobody really wanted to do anything. We were all scared to walk out our front door, so I think... Yesterday's event will be will will mark, and it's the first, by the way, the first major uh, sporting event that it's allowed that many people in the stands. I know the Texas Rangers had maybe about forty five, fifty thousand people uh, for their opening day, but that was the first time they've allowed close to seventy five, maybe not not a hundred thousand, but certainly seventy five, eighty five thousand, and one event in sports history. So it'll be interesting to see what happens and any repercussions after that. Uh, we're talking to Glenn Crowder. Glenn, you, you know, I, I, it was about a week ago uh, I, I, I said to myself, it's, uh, Kentucky Derby's coming up this Saturday. I haven't watched it in a while. 
And I thought about it all week. I said, yeah, I'm going to watch it this Saturday. And then when I started watching, and it was a big event on NBC yesterday, they started at 2.30 in the afternoon. The race was basically at 7 o'clock. So it was on most of the afternoon. Um, and it just, as, as, I, as I started, it just it reminded me so much of how important, well, it still is obviously an incredibly important sporting event, but it used to be such a part for me personally, perhaps uh, still is for a lot of people, of the rhythm of spring. To me, spring was the Masters in April. It was the it was the run for the road the first Saturday. And I'm watching it yesterday, and it just reminded me. I mean, all the women are decked out. You know, they're all uh, dolled up. They've got the beautiful hats. Then you got the guys with the fedoras. And it's just this whole culture around horse racing. I, I sort of forgot. And it made me want to go upstairs and grab my fedora and put it on and watch the race. Uh, uh, the fascinator, Wally. <laughs> 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 no, but you, you, you hit it right on. And again, being the 16 in a row, it, it's phenomenal when you see it because it is a show of the rich and famous. Uh, and not getting into too much details, but they have what is called Millionaire's Row. It's a special entrance, and it's like a red carpet event where you have every, I'm not saying every, but a lot of the major movie stars, a lot of the major athletes, they all have their own little area where they go up to this place that's called Millionaire's Row, where tables are $15,000, $20,000 just to start before you even eat or drink. And, and that's the type of thing. And, and, and believe me, it's a tradition because um, people leave the tickets and suites in their wills to their children and to other people. That's how serious they take this Kentucky Derby. Ordinarily, there would have been 151,000 people there, and it is packed. And I'm not kidding. Being there so many times, it's spectacular to see. And it's not just for the rich people, because the infield is all about the fun. And that's where the antics and the crazies go over there and have some fun and, and get to do whatever they want to do, and, and, and it's pretty nuts. But then when you go across to the other side, we're all quite refined, you know, jackets, suits, and ties for the most part. The ladies are dolled up to this point where they are absolutely the hats, the outfits they have on are spectacular, and people take pride in this very special day. And it does mark the, the first um, real major event for a lot of people for spring. So it's such a tradition in Louisville and for Kentucky. And Kentucky, by the way, just to let you know, the impact for horse racing is worth $3.4 billion. That's B as in Bob, a billion dollars to the state of Kentucky. That's how important horse racing and horse breeding is. Nez? Glenn, are we going to have a clean slate this year? Yeah, there'll be a Queen's Plate, and that's, by the way, the oldest traditionally run uh, stakes race in North America. The, uh, the Derby yesterday was 147. I think the uh, plate is well, well past that. But there will, be a, uh, there will be a Queen's Plate this year. Now, keep in mind right now the, the track is closed um, because of all the protocol of COVID, like the golf courses, tennis courts, and basketball courts, everything. I think Premier Ford will, will eventually say, okay, you know what, I think we've got this. But but I have to also say, you know what, this, this, this has to go on us, people. We can't sit there and blame the government all the time. It's, it's us that are out there doing things we shouldn't be doing. Look at the, look at the police, how many tar- charges they have every weekend because people are getting together in groups. Like, we have to take some responsibility for this, not just blame the police and blame the premier and Mayor Tory, all great people trying their best. But at the end of the day, we have to take responsibility, and I think that's the problem right there, Naz. We've got to make sure that we get the numbers down and that we're, we're kind of playing by the rules so we all get to go out and have some fun as well. Uh, talking to Glenn Crowder. Glenn, uh, horse racing, watching the Kentucky Derby yesterday made me go back and think of some of the great, uh, great derbies and great horse events 
that uh, they really were larger than life. Uh, some of the horses were larger than life. Some of the trainers and jockeys, I'm old enough to remember Abelino Gomez, which was my first uh, favorite jockey. My first horse race, I believe I ever watched, Northern Dancer won the 1964 Kentucky Derby and set the, set the record at that time of two minutes. And Northern Dancer eventually probably became the greatest horse in history from uh, from a stud perspective. So many horses trace their lineage uh, to Northern Dancer, and, and I think his father, great or grandfather in the Arctic. Uh, and then uh, I remember a great Canadian horse in 1968 that broke down, I think, in the Belmont Cool Reception. And then, of course, uh, there was Riva Ridge and Secretariat, Naz and I, I believe. Uh, I still have my Secretariat ticket from Woodbine, uh, when he won the Woodbine International in his last race. Glenn, when you think about the glory days of, uh, of horse racing, what, what particular horses, what particular races uh, stick out in your mind? Well, just to go back to Northern Dancer, let you know, probably the greatest stud that ever existed, especially coming out of Canada. Um, truly an export product that we haven't enjoyed for that horse for so many years. 60%, over 60% of all horse races, all horses, thoroughbreds in the world, that's in the world, have some sort of blood lineage to Northern Dancer. And yesterday's race, 90% of the horses had lineage to Northern Dancer. That's how incredible that horse was in the Arctic as well, and you're absolutely right. What I really remember, um, you know, I've been to so many uh, Queen's Plates, obviously, and involved in them. Uh, Breeders' Cups, I've been to like 13 in a row Breeders' Cups, uh, right around North America as well, and I've been to uh, Hong Kong and seen their big day. I've traveled the world to see horse racing, but I would tell you, probably the, the most important to me was the day the Secretariat ran at Woodbine. Yep. It was a cold, rainy miserable day i was with my family and we were at the back 50 up uh, up in the nosebleed section and all i can remember is seeing that horse and the people and and at that time i really didn't appreciate it because i was too young to appreciate horse racing and understand it but i watched it and was in awe of it and of course when talking to people after the horse uh, raced and a few years later uh, especially bruce walker who was head of public relations at the time you mentioned it was like the celebrity everybody all the cameras were watching when they brought the uh, secretary in on the trailer brought him off down the ramp it was like a movie star and he he posed for everybody just like he knew exactly what was going on a monster horse an incredible animal and uh, there's no question that uh, that's one big memory that i have for sure Certainly, and Secretariat uh, acknowledged, uh, if not the greatest uh, race horse, thoroughbred racehorse in history. I, I can't. You'd have to go back to the great ones from the '40s, Man of War or Admiral or those, or Seattle Sloop. But Secretariat is generally regarded as the greatest racehorse in history. And who can who can forget? Who can forget that incredible performance at the Belmont Stakes? It's uh, and the call. I can't remember the announcer. Uh, I can't remember the announcer's name. Watching it on a Saturday afternoon from Belmont when Secretariat absolutely obliterated the field and obliterated the record. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he still has the track. He still has the record in all three Triple Crown races. Uh, truly remarkable. But we. Uh, I'm not sure it's forgotten, but he had an incredible Canadian connection, too, didn't he? The trainer was Lucien Lauren, and the jockey was Ronnie Turcotte. That's correct. And I had, it was interesting because when, when I was vice president of Woodbine, I, I used to try my best to make a draw more exciting than pulling a little pee out of a thing and saying, okay, this horse has post number one. 
I used to bring in as many celebrities as possible just for that one day. And, uh, and I flew in Penny, uh, Penny Tweedy, who was the owner of uh, Secretariat. I brought her in from Kentucky one day, picked her up at the airport. We had a fascinating conversation about everything. And she is truly the Southern Belle, the most refined, the most beautiful. And at that age, I think she was probably 70 and change. She was just absolutely a treat to talk to, a treat to learn from. And we're talking, I brought Ronnie Turcott in another time and spent some time with him and talked about Secretariat. And the thing about Secretariat was, and it was, it was proven, they, they went to a certain point to say, okay, every time, and you heard it yesterday with Bob Baffert talking about the winning horse, um, is saying that the heart was there. Well, with, with Secretariat, he had both. He had enormous size. He was a huge horse, and also he had the biggest heart that any veterinarian had seen in many, many years. So that's like your engine. That's what really makes you tick. So that's the reason why this horse could go above and beyond, not just the fact that he had the physical stature, that he could go the distance. And the Belmont was a mile and a half, which is the longest of all three tracks uh, and races in the Triple Crown. But he, had a, he was just a freak because he had this hum- humongous heart, humongous body, and, and that's what put him together to be such an amazing horse. So he really was uh, a specimen, as they used to say, not just a horse. He was a specimen for all uh, equine in the world. And that's Glenn, they paid $1,000 for at the yearling sale for that horse yesterday. <laughs> what, what was the biggest bargain you've ever seen that turned into a great success? Well, you can go back to Funnyside, a horse that was basically a gelding that uh, won the Kentucky Derby as well, that I almost got up. I was sent down and watched the Derby and sat down to bring him back and race against our Queen's Plate winner to have a race challenge. Um, but unfortunately, we couldn't work it in his schedule. But that was probably that $1,000. That was the reason why that $1,000. Barbara Rice, she was going through divorce, and she was the trainer, the owner of the horse, and she just needed money. And usually in a, in a horse race, not a horse race, excuse me, but in a, in a bidding, in an auction, there's a reserve bid, which means you can't get this horse anything less than 5000 If you're not going to pay the money, don't bother getting the horse, and you won't get the horse. For this horse in particular, she said there's no reserve bid. So this horse was grabbed for $1,000. And keep in mind that the, the breeding was not amazing. This horse wasn't something from a northern dancer, wasn't something that you could say, wow, I'll pay a million dollars for. This is called a diamond in the rough. And this is what makes horse racing in any sport in the world where you're not paying the million dollars, the $2 million for these yearlings at two years old and hoping to become a champion. This was a horse that nobody thought was going to do anything. $1,000 they paid. The next level was $35,000 to the present owner. And then he wins a million, eight, well, $1.8 million yesterday he wins. But further than that, what is going to mean down the road for breeding rights? This gentleman invested 35000 I imagine in this day and age, he's going to probably get breeding rights up to maybe $20 million. Uh, for oh, that horse. That's how, and he'll end up being shipped to Japan because they're absolutely huge on North American bloodlines. Uh, this horse is just, just starting his career, and we'll see what happens in the next race. He was raced pretty tough. Now, the Preakness is a little shorter, but it's, it's only two, three weeks away, so it'll be a tough go. But I would have to say, Naz, that that horse yesterday was probably one of the biggest surprises that you're ever going to find. And mind that bird, the, the Canadian horse, by the yeah. way, the Canadian-owned horse and Canadian-trained horse and Woodbine-trained, by the way, Wins the uh, the Kentucky Derby at fifty to one, the longest shot ever to win, practically ever to win the Kentucky Derby. So there are some diamonds in the rough for sure. Glenn, I actually thought you were gonna at that point in time you were gonna segue into primetime Bobcat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Well, there's a story about that too. I was with uh, Bob McGowan, of course, and uh, uh, there we were. He was more interested in the standard breads at the time, and uh, a, gentleman, a gentleman named uh, Tan, uh, Anthony. I can't remember his last name. I apologize, but Del Monte. Yeah, that's Del Monte, absolutely fantastic yeah. gentleman. And he, he and I sat down one day, and I said, "Listen, I want to really promote horse racing, especially standard bread racing." He goes, "Well, what do you want? I'll help you whatever you want." And I said, "I'd like to get Bob McCowan, who's interested in horse racing, a good friend." He wants to be involved in horse racing. He said, bring him on. We'll get So basically, Bob had to invest a little bit of money. He ended up buying a horse, part-time Bobcat, named him, had a ball watching him. And then, after about two different trainers, ended up winning and having the fastest, uh, fastest trotter in the, uh, in the world at the time. And sets all sorts of records. So it was one of those things that was really quite impressive. And uh, I remember primetime Bobcat, because there's so many good stories in horse racing. There certainly is. And uh, in, in, in honor of... Uh not the horse bobcat, but the bobcat. Uh, time is our enemy, Glenn. So uh, we've, we've got to go to break. We've got Joe Theismann coming up, and uh, we can't keep him waiting. I think he's got a tea time that uh, we're holding him up from. Glenn, this has been a blast. Uh, it's been so much fun talking about horse racing. Uh, uh, let's uh, let's do it again real soon. It's uh, It's been a lot of fun. You bet. I just want to say Bob Baffert is an amazing trainer. There's a horse right there that he brought in, also Silver Charm. You don't have to pay other big prices to get a horse that's a champion. So, uh, Bob Baffert, congratulations. Fantastic. Johnny Velasquez, great ride. It was a spectacular Kentucky Derby and many more to come. Thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate it. Pleasure uh, uh, is all ours, Glenn. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's time for our break. Uh, when we come back, we'll be talking to Joe the Throw. The NFL had its draft this week. There's some things going on in NFL land. It's always a pleasure to talk with Joe Theismann. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville announced the Medium Gourmet Pizza Special. Get a Medium Gourmet Pizza for just $13.99. That's like flying first class when you only paid economy. You're up front, sipping champagne and stretching out in your luxuriously wide berth. Instead of having somebody kick the back of your seat, then the guy in front of you decides to recline his Pizzaville, seat. stone-baked pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. Here's to every boy who thought his Bobby Orr rookie card sounded great in the spokes of his bicycle. He is only served to make yours in mint condition more valuable. And now it's payday. Mint Inc. Trading Cards and Sports Merchandise wants to buy your vintage collection of hockey, baseball, basketball, football, and soccer heroes. Now's the time to cash in while the hobby reaches new heights. If you got them, we need them. Mint Inc. Trading Cards and Sports Merchandise. Visit our store online at mintink.ca. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. You won't remember that Real Space Media was once Real Tours Media. What you'll never forget is how they helped you, the real estate agent, sell homes. Or you, the business owner, show off your four walls. Real Space Media has made a name for itself, creating virtual tours and walkthrough floor plans using 3D technology that's light years ahead. In the age of COVID, what better way to see a space safely than through the digital lens of, what were they called again? Realspacemedia.ca. 
Got a space to showcase? Check out Real Space. They're not here to be nice. They're here to be right. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning. Welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. Joining me as usual, my co-host, Naz Marchese. We're pleased to welcome back to our show football legend, Joe Theismann. Good morning, Joe. How are you this morning? Good morning, guys. I hope it's. Uh, I hope you recovered from the draft. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 I think we have, uh, but that's, uh, that's an interesting topic uh, conversation. Joe, let's get right into it. You, uh, you called this a fun draft. Why was it a fun draft? I think it was fun because of uh, all the trades. I think a lot of people got players that they were looking for. It looked like there were a lot of holes that were filled. There weren't, you know, there wasn't that crazy, holy mackerel, why did that happen kind of move. And it was fun to watch. It was fun to see who was going to move up, even if it was just a couple of spots. You know, teams trading, like the Giants and Eagles trading inside the division. You know, times are changing. So uh, everybody was looking for somebody, and I think they got them. Yes. Joe, does Aaron Rodgers get traded? No, no, they would be, that would be, that would be the most bizarre deal we've seen in a long time. Not at this stage of his career. Uh, you know, although, yeah, I mean, anything is possible. Uh, I think there was a statement by the president of, of the club today or yesterday, you know, that Aaron is their quarterback for 2021 and going forward, which is better than what they said a week ago. He was our quarterback for the foreseeable future. If I mean, nobody really knows what's going on because it's between Aaron and the organization. But just some of the communications that have come out of Green Bay, and I am a, I am a shareholder in the Green Bay Packers, by the way. So I, I was a Washington, I was a quote-unquote a Redskin. Now I'm a, I was a Washington football guy. I still am. But I, you know, I, I felt like the Packers are such an iconic organization that uh, when I had an opportunity, and Mark Murphy, who was, who was there uh, running the club, when they said they had a new offering, you know, I mean, it's like going into part of, of history. So uh, I just can't see them trading him. I mean, what you you're a you're a team that is so close to the Super Bowl. Being not not for a mental error in last year's game against Tampa Bay, Green Bay's in the Super Bowl. I mean, at the end of the half, the defensive back goes to sleep. They wind up with a touchdown. It's a difference in a football game. It changes the complexion of a game. That's how close they are. And, you're not, and, and you've got Aaron Rodgers for 21, 22, and 23, I believe. 21's guaranteed, if my understanding is correct, 22 and 23 are yeah. not. I would guarantee Aaron's money for 22 and 23. At least throw a little cold water on this fire because he's cooking right now. And it started last year when they drafted Jordan Love. Uh, and didn't get him help in the first round with the receiver. That bothered him. And, you know, it's interesting, guys. I, I had a conversation with a, a wonderful general manager about a month and a half ago. And I asked him, I said, um, in your evaluation of your football team, do you ever sit down with the players and ask them their opinion? He said, absolutely. He said, we sit down with the players and, and sort of get their input and understand from the player's perspective, what's going on, as opposed to just a management perspective. To me, that's good, that's good management. Um, 
you know, Aaron is not happy. And he and like I said, this isn't just this year. It wasn't this year. As a matter of fact, it, it really flowed over from a year ago. So I don't see him being traded, though. No, to answer your question, in a long, in a long drawn out way. Joe, I, I uh, thought about a conversation we had on the show. I probably in the middle of the fall last year, we were talking about Trevor Lawrence being the guaranteed number one draft choice, and you made a comment on our show at that time. Says. Walter, don't be so sure. There's this kid out west called Zach Wilson, and um, he wasn't on my radar screen, uh, but your your words seemed pretty prophetic. He didn't make it to number one, but he almost did. There were a lot of people who thought he should have been number one. Trevor Lawrence is supposedly, uh, time will tell, but he's a generational quarterback. And then there's this third quarterback that sort of snuck up. Trey Lance. Uh, any su- any uh, surprises about that choice by the Niners and uh, and uh, the the two prior choices as well? Well, no, not really. I mean, you know, we talked about uh, you know, we talked about Trevor, you know, being you know in all likelihood number one. But I and you and you mentioned I I really like Zach Wilson. I like everything about him. I like his demeanor. I like the way he throws the ball. I like the way he can take things off, put it on. Um, he has great athleticism. He's six foot three. Uh, he has Kyler Murray type moves as far as his athleticism goes, but he's much taller. And and I really liked him. And as far as as Lawrence goes, um, or I'm, I'm sorry, as, as far as uh, Trey Lance goes, that was a bit of a surprise. But then again, the 49ers have Jimmy Garoppolo, so they have their quarterback. Now here's a kid that hasn't played a lot of football and really a lot of games. So you have a chance to invest some time in them. And we, you know, we saw what Patrick Mahomes has become after sitting behind um, Alex Smith. You know, Aaron Rodgers with Brett Favre. I mean, I, I think it's a good move for them. Everybody's sort of moving towards more and more guys that can move around. So um, I was a little bit surprised they didn't go for Mac Jones. But when you think about the way this league is going, they, you know, they got what they wanted. Yes. Uh Washington. Who's going to be the quarterback this year? Ryan Fitzpatrick. It looks like the starter. Who? Who do they have in the in the wings to play quarterback? Yes, I, you know, you know, it's, I, everybody seems to be thinking that because Fitz is here, he's going to be the starter. You know, Ron Rivera a year ago made a commitment to Dwayne Haskins without ever having OTAs or mini camps or training camps to really look at his quarterback, and then he came out and said, "I made a mistake." I gave Dwayne the job, uh, but I don't, you know, I don't think it was a mistake. I think he had no choice. I think he was in a situation where you had to choose a starter, but you had nothing to evaluate anybody on. So this year there's going to be a competition. There'll be OTAs if guys decide they want to come in. And, I, you know, I don't get it. These guys don't want to come in for voluntary workouts. God, you make so much money. Do you really love the game of football? Why can't you show up for a voluntary workout? We're opting out of voluntary workouts. For crying out loud, guys, go play football. Gee whiz. I, I just don't get it. I mean, I couldn't wait to go play football. I love training camp. I love everything about the game. Still do. Wish I, One thing I can't do that I wish I could do is throw the football. The old wing is gone. But um, I, I just, you know, to me, um, I think you're going to see the process go forward. 
talking to Joe Theismann. Joe, uh, there's, uh, we have a lot of Buffalo Bills fans in Southern Ontario. We also have a lot of Pittsburgh Steelers fans in Southern Ontario and all over America, for that matter. As soon as the Steelers drafted Najee Harris, the Alabama, the Crimson Tide running back, at 20, at uh, he was in the 24th slot, I said, I mean, I thought about it. I said, he's, he just, I pictured him in a Pittsburgh Steeler uniform almost immediately. He just, to me, seems like the prototypical Pittsburgh Steeler. Uh, comment on the Steelers, Najee Harris, in their first pick. Well, you, you can you, you can see uh, the value of a running back. All you need to do is, is look at Tennessee, and you see how important a running back can be. You know, Ben's probably in his last year. I'm sure he wants to come back. I'm sure he left a bad taste in his mouth the way the season ended a year ago and the struggles that the team went through. And it really starts with the running game. And it'll take some pressure off of him. It'll allow him to be able to do things that he wasn't really able to do this year. I mean, so much of it fell on his shoulders. They didn't really have a running game. So now you're, you know, now you've got, now you've got a guy that's got tremendous talent, faster than most people think, and, uh, and has been very durable. So I think it was a great selection. Uh, and, and I was like you, Walter. It, that was, to me, it seemed like the spot that he should have been, and he wound up going. Uh, Joe Thies, we won't keep you much longer. Joe, Naz? Uh, Joe, were you surprised that all the number one draft picks uh, went in the first round with quarterbacks? No, w- no, not at all, and I'll tell you why. If you look at, if you look at the National Football League, I, I, of the first, uh, first 20 picks, I had 12 of them needing quarterbacks. We still don't have enough quarterbacks. I mean, you've got, you know, you've taken different players, but some of them are projects. Tampa's a project. Um, New Orleans, you know, they, they took uh, Ian Book, and that's one thing. I know Walter and I are huge yeah, Notre Dame fans. Uh, well, that was my next you question, know, the, Joe. <laughs> the entire offensive line of, of the Notre Dame football team was drafted. <laughs> so that tells you what, you know, we really have become offensive linemen you uh, <laughs> at Notre Dame. I mean, you know, you go back to the way the Cowboys built theirs, and you look at the guys that have gone on and had great careers in the National Football League, and now we have a almost you know, an entire unit going different places. Um, I, I I just feel like there aren't enough quarterbacks to go around. And you know, keep in mind, you know, you know, Pittsburgh's probably going to be looking. I mean, right now Dwayne Haskins is in Pittsburgh, and hopefully he'll, you know, get himself squared away so that he can compete and do the things he needs to do. They've got. Mason Rudolph there. Um, but, you know, you have Pittsburgh, you've got Tampa, you have, um, you know, possible, well, Green Bay thinks they've got an answer to their problem. Um, so, you know, you've, you've got a lot of teams that really need quarterbacks. Some of the voids were filled. And then we have to see. Remember, guys, when you draft a quarterback, when you're like picking in the top five, let's say, and you draft a quarterback, you probably need more than just that quarterback for your football team, or else you wouldn't have been picking in the top five. So it's a start. It's a beginning for them. And I think you know places like the Jets, places like Jacksonville, uh, San Francisco sort of bolstered the position a little bit. Um, and I, you know, the other thing I found this to be is I found this to be a relationship draft. You had the quarterback from LSU go to Cincinnati, where Joe Burrows was. You've got a wide, I'm sorry, a wide receiver go to LSU, wide receiver from Alabama go to Miami. 
uh, quarterback from Alabama go to New England because of Bill and and, uh, and Nick's relationship. And so I found that I, I almost you know it was it was like a it was a fun relationship type of a draft to me. Uh, Joe, you, you you beat me to the punch. Uh, you know I wasn't going to let uh, uh, the opportunity when we chat with you. I'm not talking with Nord, not talking about Notre Dame. We have to talk about Notre Dame. I got to take uh, I got to take BS from these Alabama guys on the show all the time. So if I if I got a Notre Dame, <laughs> yeah, guy, I know. We're, we'll I, I'm talking, right, I'm talking Fighting Irish. So Notre Dame, nine players drafted yesterday, uh, second only to Ohio State and Alabama. I get the part we didn't get anybody in the first round. Uh, that's fine. But it does say something for the Notre Dame program, does it not? It really does. I mean, our, you know, the job, it, it speaks to the job that Brian Kelly has done there as a coach and the recruiting process that we have and the development of the players. I think the one thing that we have to figure out a way to do, and that's be able to push, press the ball down the field more. We need bigger plays. We need big plays out of our passing game uh, from wide receivers, tight ends, whomever. Uh, we've we've always run the football great, and that's indicative of the offensive line. And our defense, I think, is is fairly young. Our secondary was fairly young, so they'll be a year moved. I believe yesterday they had the spring game too. So I'm uh, I got to check with Coach Kelly and see how things went. But um, I just feel like uh, you know if we you look at what Alabama does, you look at what Clemson does, you look at what Florida does, LSU. They push the ball down the field, and, and I think we need to do that a bit more. If if we want to be able to uh, stay in games, I mean, if you get behind fourteen, seventeen points, and you're a running football team, it's over. But I, I'm 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 anticipating that we're going to be developing in that area, and that's exciting for me. It certainly is. We've been talking to uh, Joe Joe Theismann. Joe, uh, I hope you have a golf game in your plans for today. Take advantage of something oh. we can't we can't do in Ontario. Um, I know. You guys have had do you have bad weather again today? Yeah, it's not the best, but we're not allowed to play because our golf courses have been shut down by the government. But uh, yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand that, Walter. Uh, I, um, I don't. I don't understand I, it either, Joe. But uh, I really don't understand it. I, I think. I think someone told me that, that you know they feel like the people that play golf are, are those of privilege, but that's not true. I mean, well, they haven't so been many to public a golf courses. Yet. I mean, that's. I mean, you have so many places to play, and you're outside by yourself. You know what? What really, I guess, jumped out at me through this pandemic, as you look at the United States and things that are happening in different states here, is where where did common sense get lost in this whole thing? That's a really, really? interesting debate for another day, Joe. But uh, <laughs> uh, let's let, let, let's leave it at that. Uh, time is our enemy. We don't ha- we don't have much time left. All I know is that at some point in time, if I'm done and south florida i'd i'd love to hook up with you for a game of golf joe uh we'll figure it out walter well, well, Man, we'll take fi- care of yourself guys yeah. you too joe thank joe theisman thank you so much appreciate it you're welcome okay. all the best uh naz we've got a few minutes left uh, uh before we run out of time uh as we usually do because we had so much we can't ever get it all in ontario uh, is the only place you can't play golf in the world yeah. uh that is correct uh you know, uh, at, at the risk of getting me all riled up, maybe we should move on from that topic. I, I think I think Mr. Ford should get it get it on and let him start playing well, golf and, starting Friday. Okay? Yeah, the the one thing I mean, I, I you know I understand, and Glenn Crowder made the point. He's heavily involved in golf in Ontario. 
Um, he made the point, we've all got to do our part. You know, there's a lot of carelessness going on. Uh, I'm, you know, there's, you know, we, there's, do we want to get into the blame game? Uh, yeah, if we want to get political about it, um, we could, we could, we could, there's blame to go around everywhere. Um, you know, if you want to look at our federal leaders, we want to look at our provincial leaders, we want to look at our population, some of the careless people out there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure that that's a productive discussion. Um, I think the point that golfers, the the one point I do that Joe just addressed really quickly at the end, I do want to address because I, you know, I, I, I sort of check online every now and then to see if there's any movement uh, in, ter- in terms of the provincial government, Ontario, in terms of opening up the courses. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I see all these opinions from people, probably from a lot of people who have never stepped on a golf course, that, you know, that golf is just a privileged sport for the rich. Well, you know what? Go, go, uh, go, go step on some court. Go, you know, go to, go to Humber Valley, go to Don Valley, go to, uh, go to Bondhead, go to Woodington Lakes, go to some of the public place. You know, not all the golf courses in, 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 in Ontario are, are private golf courses and are, and, you know, they have a high price tag to them. The, the, the probably the vast majority of golfers are what they call pays you play. You know, like trying to trying to get a game for fifty, sixty, seventy bucks, spending five hours in the fresh air. Um, we we can criticize the government all we want, and you know, it's a democracy. That's what we elect our representatives to do, and we have to abide by their decisions. I'm not a big fan, like some of the, like the course did down in London, opening up against the law. Uh, I, I'm not going to step I'm not going to step a foot on a golf course if it's not in accordance with the law. Um, you know, even if we don't respect, and we can criticize our decision makers. We can we can advocate for change, uh, but golf is not what it used to be 50, 60, 70 years ago. And I'm not so sure the myth of golf being a privileged sport is has been entirely correct. You know, you you go to a golf course today, you see a lot of diversity. Not everybody's white skinned when you go to a golf course. Not everybody's male. A lot of a lot of women play golf. Um, so I just wanted to spell that stereotype, and if that's the reason that the government doesn't want to see, and I'm not, and, and I'm, and it's not just about opening golf courses. Let's open pickleball courts. Let's open tennis courts. Um, you know what, Naz? I'll leave it with that. It's probably better I stop now. Anyways, I was I wanted to thank some people. Um, yesterday was National Doctors Day in Canada. Um, an opportunity to uh, pat them on the back for the extraordinary work that they've done in the last year. Nurses, essential workers, NAS, as you say, truck drivers, grocery store clerks, all those people who have to deal with the public as part of their job, you have kept this society running. Thank you. Thank you so much. So another gentleman, he's our producer, Brandon. Every Sunday morning, he, uh, he does this for us. NAS has been doing it remotely. Uh, Brandon, you've been doing a fantastic job for us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, Naz, we're pretty close to the 10 o'clock hour. I will uh, turn it over to you. Everybody have a good week, okay? This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.